morning we'll share in a sermon from we'll share in a sermon from Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy. Our reading comes from chapter 3. We start in verse 14 and we'll conclude in verse 5 of chapter 4. Hear now this reading of God's word. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that, were, that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for, for, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message. Be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but will have itching ears. And they will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own desires. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Carry out your ministry fully. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. begin this morning with a little bit of research. And for any of you who are averse to research, let me apologize. I cited research last week also. And I'm sorry to, you know, beat the same drum. But just for a frame of reference, last week I cited research that showed that those who were active in their thankfulness had lived, experienced more positive, happy lives. The idea was if you recognize all of the good things in your life, you will be happier. And the hope was if we recognize how good God has been to us, we will then hopefully respond more faithfully to God. So be thankful. Connect your gratefulness to God Because it has an important impact on your life every single day. Now, this week, I'll start with a question. Have you ever, like, started an exercise regimen and then afterwards gained some weight? Right? You're like, you think, I want to lose a few pounds, so you start walking. You maybe walk three, four, five days a week, and then you kick it up a notch, maybe you jog a little bit, and you get on the scale a month later only to find out that you've gained three pounds instead of losing five. And you're like, it's not just muscle mass. There's something in behavioral research called moral self-licensing. 
You may not know what that formal term means, but what it actually means is, is from some of the research, doing good deeds can increase people's subsequent willingness to act less than virtuously. For example, recalling a recent ethical behavior can reduce someone's intentions to donate, give blood, or volunteer. Making an environmentally responsible decision can license someone to lie, cheat, or steal. Doing something ethical, pro-social, or unbiased seems to have made people feel secure about their morality, which allowed them to act in ways that could call their virtue into question. In other words, good deeds seem to license people by providing them with moral credentials to assess to their virtuous, attest to their virtuous character. The example the research cites. Someone who virtuously followed a diet then licensed people to have less virtuous dieting behavior in the future. Agreeing to help someone licensed people to engage in a relative vice themselves. The research seems to indicate that doing good deeds often leads to less virtuous behavior later on. Which brings us back to our exercise. Well, I ran today. I burned 300 calories. I'm going to have a piece of cake. I only burned 300 calories, but I ate 600 and created a deficit in the wrong way. I bring this up because if virtuously following a diet can cause us to make junk food decisions at the grocery store, and if helping someone can rationalize not tipping at a restaurant, then we need to consider, maybe, that as human beings with minds and habits and temptations, there could be times, there could be a realm in which we operate where with our actual lives, what we intend to do with faith is not what we then actually experience. What we really want and need when it comes to a life of faith is ongoing practice. And we need to nurture our faith by being diligent and being discipled at all times. But sometimes I wonder if we let that work against us. Our scripture reading was from 2 Timothy. It's a letter that Paul sends to Timothy. Paul is a mentor. Timothy is a protege, or for you Seinfeld fans, a mentee, if you will. Paul corresponded with Timothy through letters, and we have two of these letters as a part of the New Testament. Two of them were deemed by the church to be helpful enough for all of us, the whole church, that they were made scripture. And Paul corresponded with Timothy. And in this correspondence, he's encouraging Timothy to keep living out his role as an evangelist, as an apostle, as a teacher of the gospel, 
And I believe this is an instruction in Scripture today that we still have, not because it was nice for apostles to tell their fellow evangelists to keep at it, but because, well, because God is using Paul's letter to Timothy to encourage us to keep at it also. It's a reminder for how we can be faithful. And as we look at these ten or so verses, there's about four little sections that have a little message in each of them. In 14 and 15, Paul writes, As for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through, Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling Timothy, stay the course. As he travels, as he meets new people, as he faces adverse circumstances, Timothy needs to stay the course. He knew the way he could live and move and have his being. And if he were going to be a diligent disciple to fulfill his role in the kingdom of God, he would need to stay disciplined and connected to the practices of faith that got him to where he was. I can say more in a minute, but it behooves us to remember and to affirm for ourselves that being present, even today, and listening and learning is not your only accomplishment for the week. Rather, it is how you practice your ongoing discipleship. It's being a faithful follower of Jesus that causes us to show up. That helps us to read Scripture. That encourages us to live sacrificially and attend to our faith at all times. Not just when there's something else not on our calendar. Paul says, continue in what you've learned. And that which was true for Timothy is true for us. The good habits of generating faith are the good habits that continue to nurture faith. In the second section, Paul writes, All Scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped in every good work. Just a quick word here. We all hold Scripture in high esteem. Otherwise we wouldn't read and think about it as much as we do. Of course, some folks have weaponized this translation in, from the Greek to say that all Scripture is this or that or the other. All Scripture is inerrant. If the King James was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. But as a point of reference, Paul is writing this book about writing this letter about the same time that Luke is recording his gospel and Matthew is recording his gospel. Mark's was already written and John's probably came later. Reminding us that when Paul says all scripture, he has very little knowledge of the other books of the New Testament. He may not have even written letters to Corinthians yet, and he hardly would have considered a lot of his correspondences as Scripture. Paul was reared as a Jew. 
He's now reading his Old Testament, his Hebrew Bible, his scriptures, through the lens of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He's not waiting for the Messiah anymore. But the reminder to us is that these books are inspiring. These letters are important. They encourage us in our faith. But to use Paul to weaponize Scripture is to practice unfaithfulness. We move on to encouragement from chapter 4. The encouragement is given as further reason for us to stay faithful. When he writes, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I solemnly urge you to proclaim the message and be persistent, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. Convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. Paul is encouraging his protege and his partner in ministry to keep proclaiming the good news even when it's hard. You're going to run into resistance. You may have heard, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be instances when it's hard to stay the course. But what we know from what God has done in and for us is that our call is to remain in ways and practices that we know nurture our faith, generate hope, and provide life that leads to life. Our call is to be diligent as disciples. And for many, it's going to just become easy to do their own thing, to go their own way. But the call of disciples is different. It's to stay the course. Not just always doing everything like we've always done it. But to to continue to work to engage in the practices of faith that will generate life for us and for others. Finally, Paul gives an encouragement as reason to stay faithful in the fourth section because the time is coming, he says, when people aren't going to put up with sound doctrine. They're going to have itching ears and they're going to find for themselves teachers that suit their own desires. And they're going to turn away from listening to truth and wander away to myths. And as for you, always be sober, endure suffering, Do the work of the evangelist. Carry out ministry fully. There'll be a time, Paul says, when those who are supposed to be listening and following faithfully are going to stray. They're going to go their own way. The knowledge and the experience of faith that they got might seem like enough for them. And so they're going to decide to do other things with their time, with their energy, with their money. Paul warns this is going to happen. It's a warning about the ways that some are not following faithfully Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the idea that there will be some, many really, who will fall back on the ease of things in life. Instead of diligently following a path for discipleship that God has given them.
And that's not the way we want to go. That's not what we want to see happen for us, around us, among us. Because that's not a way that leads to life. It's a trap. And we're all subject to the same kind of thing. In this passage, Paul is telling Timothy warning signs. He's reminding Timothy that the way to life that is fulfilling is is not just hearing the message once. It's not just hearing and engaging in faith when it's convenient. It's, It's not just following the most interesting teacher who's the flavor of the week. Paul's message to Timothy and by extension God's message to us is that a life that's worth living takes discipleship and a life of discipleship takes diligence. But the diligent life of discipleship is the life that leads to life. It's the life that God is alive and active in. And it's the life where we find the fullest, deepest, truest hope of God's love, assurance, blessing, and presence. We can't base our discipleship on convenience alone. We can't follow the most easiest accessible ideas all the time. And we can't base our discipleship on our own whims or desires because when we do, we fall far short. And when we do that, we begin to worship a God whose image looks a whole lot like one we would fashion rather than the image of God that God has fashioned. So back to that research from the beginning. Moral self-licensing. You can call it what you want, but you know what it is. The license we take when we do something good, realizing that maybe we're now more prone to undercut the very good that we had done. We work out, so we eat too much cake. We follow a strict diet. We buy a bunch of produce in the produce section, only to buy a bunch of junk food on the cereal aisle. We do an act of service and then we ignore our neighbor or in faith. We do something good on Saturday and we skip church on Sunday. We promise to pray at Bedside Baptist Church so that we can go our own way the rest of the day. We give our time to the church so we don't have to give our money. Or we scratch a check so that we can cover our congregational indifference. We want to be faithful, so we listen to preachers on podcasts, forgetting that the life of faith is a shared life. We read our Bible every day, so we don't take time to sit and study with others. We volunteer to help with something, because it's easier than arranging our life around a day that is called the Sabbath. In these ways, in so many more, we trade good deeds for discipleship. And there is nothing wrong with good deeds and with altruism. But we have to realize the temptation that's upon us. That that we can't give in to the temptation to skip on discipleship just because we did some good things. We can't self-rationalize our way out of a diligent discipleship to Jesus. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. And it's not how we experience the fullness of the kingdom of God.
So I close with one last image. There's no story here, but it's an, an idea that if we're going to follow faithfully, we can't vaccinate ourselves against what it means to follow. You know what vaccines are, don't you? Many of you have gotten your flu shot, your flu vaccine. A vaccine takes just a little bit of the illness, puts it in your body so your body can build up antibodies against the big threat that's coming. Sometimes I fear that we Christians, it's so easy to live as a Christian under that label these days, that we vaccinated ourselves against a diligent discipleship. We got just enough faith that we feel okay Maybe we can ride out a Category 1 storm even. But we don't want to fight off what it is that God wants to do through us by being diligent disciples. We don't want to just get a little bit of Jesus when it's convenient. And we don't want to vaccinate ourselves against God's real work. Thinking we got enough only to realize that maybe we got the wrong strain. And so today, I pray that we all, like Paul encourages Timothy to be, will be diligent in our discipleship, in our discipleship so that we might know the fullness of God and not a life formed in our own image, that we might form a life in God's image. We need to be diligent disciples, not just because God calls it to us, it calls us to it, but because it's how God shapes our souls. And I pray today that we each can commit to a path of discipleship that leads to life. Let's pray together. Holy and loving God, we give you thanks that you meet us here. We give you thanks that you meet us where we are. And we give you thanks that you love us so much that you don't leave us where we are. Lord, help us to see that as diligent disciples, we can experience you more fully, more wholly, and we can experience your holiness anew and afresh. Help us to be diligent, not out of obligation, but out of opportunity that you give us. And help us to be diligent so that we might be devoted to you in ways that improve life, life around us, life for others, and bring us more closely and more fully to life everlasting. These, O oh Lord, are our prayers. And they're prayers that we offer in the name of Jesus Christ, whom we are diligent disciples of. Amen.